Millennials are ruining the world An exennial perspective Hey everyone, welcome back to Millennials are ruining the world question mark An exennial perspective Real conversations bridging the gap between generations X and Y I'm not woke, but I'm awake My guest today was born and raised in Minnesota she graduated from MIT with degrees in physics and math with computer science, followed by graduate school in computer science at the University of Michigan. She lost on Jeopardy in 2015, but she made Alex Trebek laugh. I can attest to that. I watched the episode. Uh, she once got a rental car stuck in the snow just outside of Fairbanks, Alaska, and was rescued by a herd of reindeer. Jane Fonda once offered to buy the shirt off her back, but she turned her down, and she is the first curling skip ever to blank an end in the Pacific International Cups one-end bondspiel in Richmond, British Columbia. All right, please welcome Erin Rohde, and the crowd goes wild because I'm so used to cabaret that I, <laughs> I have to say please welcome. What do you say for a podcast? And here's it's fine, I think, whatever. I think you could say, please welcome. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they, they're going to have to welcome you. Maybe they're applauding when they're listening. Can you type in applause noise? Yes. Yeah. I could if I wanted to, but I'm too lazy, so I won't. Uh, I love this stuff in your bio before we get anywhere further. Uh, I was in Fairbanks, Alaska just a few months ago, uh, and that would have been July. Wow, that's almost a year ago. Uh, and it was really nice, but there wasn't that much snow. So you were there like in the winter? I was there in February. I was oh, there boy. for a curling tournament, which is how I, back when I was a competitive curler, that's all my travels were for curling tournaments. And that's super fun. I went to a reindeer ranch and I took a wrong turn and I got stuck in a snowbank and I missed the start of the reindeer tour but the reindeer tour found me anyway, stuck in the snowbank. Like first a herd of reindeer ran up the hill and I was like, this is kind of magical. And then the woman leading the tour followed the reindeer and was like, why did they come up here and saw me and was like, oh, and she was like, oh, you're Aaron. You're the person that didn't make it to the tour. I know the wrong turn you took. Let me help you get your car out. But after the tour, come join the tour. So we left the car in the snow and uh, did the tour. That's great. Was that the Running Ranger Ranch? Yes, that was the Running Ranger that's Ranch. That's what I, I did that too, but there wasn't snow because I went in July, but yeah. that's so fun. That was probably the best thing I did in Fairbanks. I, I, I loved it, it. Yeah, they were so nice. And then they gave us cookies after, which I love cookies. Did you buy the reindeer soap? Did they sell that still? Um, they probably did. I don't usually buy things because I paid like, you know, $100 to do the tour. So um, I felt like that was, they got a lot of money out of me. Made. When I did, I think it was $50. Oh, um, wow. Well, this was back in like them. 2015. Well, it um, was 85 plus a fee. So it was 90 and something cents. I was just rounding up. But yeah. it actually is 100 in peak times now because my friend, Teresa, who was also a guest on this podcast, season one, uh, went to Fairbanks recently and she told me it was 100 now. And I looked and it is. So... Good for well, them. In 2015, it was only 50, and they well, sold reindeer milk soap, soap that was made with the reindeer milk, like the well, fat. I don't know milk. that they had that. They had only a limited batch, so I don't know if they were going to, and it didn't seem like it was a thing that they were doing regularly. It was just like, if they had a bunch of milk lying around, well, they would that is, soap with it. I want to go back and see if they have any soap, but, but how did you meet Jane Fonda? Is this curling related too? No, this is vagina monologues related. Ah. Uh, so back in college, I was a producer my senior year of MIT's Vagina Monologues production. And we got invited to go to the National Convention for Vagina Monologues College Organizers happened to be held at BU. So while all of these women were traveling by plane from all across the country, we got on the T and got on the green line to get there. And Jane Fonda was the surprise guest. Wow. Um, and my co-producer and I were wearing our Enjoy Vagina shirts that looked like the Coca-Cola logo from the first MIT production, which was our sophomore year. And uh, we just randomly happened to both be wearing the same shirt that day. And 
somebody there was like, I love your shirts. Can we take you back and do a photo shoot with you? Cause we're doing this book called vagina warriors. And we were like, yeah, sure. And so we're getting our photo shoot done. And Eve Ensler walks in who wrote the vagina monologue. Yes. yes. And we were like, Oh my gosh, it's Eve. And then behind her is Jane Fonda. And she's just very casual. She's like, this is my friend, Jane. She decided to, I was like, and I just stood there and I was sort of shocked. And I was like, yeah, I know who Jane Fonda is. Like I recognize her. Like, I think the first thing out of my mouth was like, you were in a movie with Catherine Hepburn. What was that like? Cause Catherine Hepburn had just died like six months oh, before. Gee. And she just kind of looked at me and was like, that's a weird question. Catherine um, Hepburn lived next door to Stephen Sondheim for years. I did not know that. Yeah. There was a story of him writing company and her yelling, shut up or something like that. <laughs> well, anyway, Jane saw our shirts and really wanted one. And since they were from a previous year's production, we didn't have any more for sale. And she said, well, can I buy the one you're wearing? And it was sort of awkward then because I was like, what, what will I wear if you are taking my shirt? <laughs> and also I like this shirt and I have sentimental value attached to it. So um, no, you can't wear the one, you can't have the one we're wearing. Do you still have that shirt? I do still have that shirt. Uh, well, that's good. I have a lot of old shirts from MIT and I don't, uh, I don't really use them <laughs> at all. Like they just sit in the in a little rubber made under my bed and I'm like I could throw them out but you can't donate them because no one's going to want to wear like you know MTG production of the show robots we did like, they might it would be like a hipster shirt you know I don't know that's just weird but I don't particularly wear them anymore either and I had some from high school too and some of those have our names on the back I don't know what to do with all of those like my Make mom gave me a whole bunch I made a quilt with a bunch of them, not the not this vagina monologue shirt, but there's like two other vagina monologue shirts mm. in that quilt. Um, make a I quilt. can't make a quilt, but maybe my wife can. I don't Your know. Wife That's... can, or you can send it off, and they find people on Etsy will make the quilt for you. Or making mm. a quilt is not that hard. I gotta be able I don't to. Know. I just don't care thing. because I don't really want to live in the past, so I don't. I don't really want to reminisce about productions I did in high school and college because I'm doing a production right now off Broadway at the AMT theater called Love Corks. So uh, I don't know, whatever. Actually, this podcast airs um, a week before Love Corks starts. So I hope everyone listening has their tickets, all, you know, 20 of you. Uh, all right. So the first question I asked before we get to the theme, which uh, we're still talking about your intro, but how did we meet? So how did we meet, Erin? How did we meet? I mean, we met in college, I guess. Uh, did you know me in college? I don't know that we met while Everybody was... knew who you were, Seth. You were oh, the well, loud guy. Sweet. You were the loud guy that sang show tunes out the window, and you could hear it across the courtyard. All right. Well, that's good. And we knew who you were. Uh, well, that's lovely. Now New York City knows who I am, so. Yeah. I don't I don't know the first time we talked. Might have been after graduation, even. Um, I'm, I don't really remember anything before the pandemic at all. But uh, I definitely, we definitely became friends during the mystery hunt. Yeah, mystery at some hunt. some point. Uh, post both of our graduations, really. Yeah, well, Although I, I had, do I do have a story about you relating to the mystery hunt from before. I was on the team that ran it in 2004 and you were solving that hunt. 2004. And you, that was the Time Bandits hunt. Yes, yes, that makes sense. And uh, Mystery Hunt is always around Quinn Mahoney's birthday. Yes, Mystery so you, Hunt, uh, for those people who do not know, we should probably answer this question at this yes. point. Uh, the MIT Mystery Hunt is a huge puzzle hunt. It is not a scavenger hunt. Everyone always thinks I'm going on a scavenger hunt in January in Boston. I'm like, no, we don't run around outside in the freezing cold. Uh, but Sometimes it's a lot of do, puzzles. But... Well, yes, that's true. Sometimes, but not always. Usually we're just solving puzzles in a really smelly room. But you have to define puzzle too, because when I say tell people it's a puzzle hunt, some people think that I'm going to solve a pile of jigsaw puzzles all weekend. Oh gosh. Also not true. Yeah, that's also not true. It's so hard to explain what, what it is. Do you have like a, an elevator pitch for the mystery hunt? No, I should at this point, but I don't. I know. It's, it, you are searching for the coin. That's what I say. The coin is hidden behind layers and layers of puzzles, but a puzzle is anything with the one word answer. 
It could be a list of images that you have to figure out. What but the answer is not necessarily one word. It could be two words or an emoji. Words. In 2003, they were objects. If yeah, you know the matrix you mean it doesn't have to be a word. This is the it's, problem. It's usually a string of letters. Yes, usually. But not always. <laughs> Pretty much every rule there is for the mystery hunt has been broken at some point intentionally. Uh, and sometimes unintentionally. Well, that's true too. <laughs> The only one that is standard is that there will be puzzles and you are looking for a coin. That's, I think, the only rules that have not. Yes. Been so this takes place in January, Martin Luther King Lincoln, every year at MIT, though the last few years we did it on this app called Discord, uh, which was not as fun in any way, shape or form. But we used to go in person and be in our room with 80 people. Uh, and there was it's fun. I missed that part of it. All right, so tell your story about me and then we can do our podcast. Yeah, so we had a puzzle that year that involved lip syncing to songs that were then on a jukebox at a restaurant just off campus. And uh, it was Quinn Mahoney's birthday. And because it was his birthday, while he had written some puzzles, he was off having birthday celebrations and not, he was like barely aware that Hunt was happening. And you were on the team that was solving um, in the Talbot Lounge in our dorm yes. campus. And so he was just coming downstairs from his room to like go out to dinner and you saw him and he was one of the people that was lip syncing and you grabbed him and you said, what are you singing? You've been in my dreams. And Quinn had no idea who you were or what was going on. <laughs> I don't remember this at he all. He didn't have the context of mystery hunt in his head. So he didn't know, like he didn't know what the answer to what he was singing was. And he was really worried about why he was in your dreams. And <laughs> I really don't remember this, 2004. So I had my own team at East Campus called EC Come, EC Go, which is a pun I wrote, with Brandy, uh, Brandy Thomas and Susan. We started my freshman year, and that was the year that they handed out packets. And that was the last year that it was physical paper packets you had to pick up instead of it being online, which didn't start until my second year doing the hunt. Uh, and so then the team kind of grew. And then I think I, I ran that team until I didn't know anyone left at my dorm East campus. So I think I ran that team for seven years. And 2004 would have been near the end of that because Brandy jumped my team to join your team because her boyfriend slash husband, husband, Robbie, yeah. was yeah, he on was that team. team. And I remember being really upset at her. But she must have done that in 2003-ish. She, she did. In fact, Brandy was the first. She joined our team in 2003. And I think a big part of why we won that year was Brandy was like, you guys don't organize anything because we were just a big chaotic mess. Yeah, like, oh, Brandy oh. and I would always organize our team. Yeah, so we Brandy could... spent 2003 organizing things into like file folders. And it was so nice. It was like, oh, we can find the puzzle we were working on 12 hours ago and all of the notes that went with it. This is great. Um, uh Oh, memories, memories. That was, yeah, Brandy and I were always big in organizing. We came really close one year, but that was before they outlawed trading. But we had a trading deal when trading was allowed. Uh, that, I don't remember when they outlawed it, but there was one year that we just kept trading for puzzles and we solved one really hard puzzle somehow that no one else had solved. And we just traded like, crazy it was crazy how much we traded that year we got really good at that and then the next year they said trading was outlawed and we had a whole trading plan lined up uh but that was i think the year we came the closest maybe it was carmen san diego maybe it was, I, was say, I think trading predates me my first year yeah. was 2001 oh no that? i was graduating it, yeah um, your senior year was my freshman year got it god i'm old now everyone knows how old we are, but that's okay. Uh, yeah, no, I training was definitely outlawed by my senior year. I, I remember it was sophomore. I think we traded a lot in the Carmen San Diego hunt my sophomore year. And then I think they decided that was cheating. And once that was outlawed, we'd stop doing so well. We, we, were really, we were really good at that. I don't know. We never really came that close. I remember Dan Katz wrote a puzzle for me after I graduated, not knowing I was going to come back. And that was very sweet of him, even though he didn't mean it in a sweet way. 
I still appreciated it. Uh, I still appreciated having my own mystery hand puzzle. It was a Sondheim puzzle. And I actually sent it to Sondheim and he thanked me for sending it to him. So, oh, yeah, he, he was Did sorry. you tell Dan that you did that? I don't know if I ever told Dan that. I don't really talk to Dan that much, but maybe he'll listen to this because you're on it. I guarantee he hasn't listened to any other episode, but I don't know. I don't know if he if he knew. Um, yeah, so then after my after I stopped knowing people at East Campus, it was really hard to just be like, hey, I want to stay in a dorm that I don't know anyone in anymore. It was very weird. And so I disbanded the team, which we had taken all the unattached hunters for years. So we had such a hodgepodge and I felt bad about it. But Brandy had uh, split off of your team because yeah. she didn't want to win the hunt after running the hunt. And so we had this really small, like 10 person team that year. And that was the year I ended up sleeping on a classroom floor at MIT, which hadn't been outlawed then, but is outlawed now. And uh, it was, we didn't do that well, but I believe uh, Jamie and Charlene were on our team and it was just, it was just a small team. Uh, on the floor once? Yeah, that was the year because I, I was staying with a friend in Boston and the tea shut down and I didn't want to leave the hunt. Now that I'm old, I'm okay with leaving the hunt before the tea stops. I'm like, whatever, I'll go home, I'll read a book and then I'll go to sleep. Like, I don't feel like I need to be obsessive to the point where I'm eating and breathing the hunt all 24 hours of the day. Oh, see, we, there was a period after I graduated. So I, I was a senior the year that we wrote in 2004. And then I graduated and like you, I had to come back without living on campus. And we had a sleeping room. Like we would get assigned three classrooms and we'd use two for solving and one for sleeping. Um, oh yeah, I think that was a while ago. I remember. Yeah, yeah that was the only stopped year. around like 2008, 2009. Um, then I started staying with my uh, friend's ex-boyfriend who I became friends with and he was the RA in East Campus. So there was a huge, another two or three or four years while he was getting his PhD that I actually was back on East Campus. But by the time I was in my 20s, like my late 20s, and I'm still taking these showers in this disgusting dorm shower, it was terrible. It was terrible. Yeah, eventually what happened in sort of my social circle on the team was Dan Katz joined our team and he went, so what hotel rooms do you guys get? And we were like, oh, oh. there's a hotel right next to campus. This is brilliant. Well, and I haven't gotten that far yet because then I had a couple of friends lived in, actually I stayed with Kristen Center a couple of years. So she was in Central Square. And then my one of my best friends was in Boston for uh residency and he was living in central square so i stayed with him and then my other friend from high school so i had people for a long time in central square uh and then i started staying with rob uh who lives off the alewife stop but i rob and i keep similar hours so he would just i would just have to conform to when he wanted to drive and that was very convenient and i did that for the last bunch of years but when we ran the hunt I know I was staying in Central Square and that was walkable, it was okay. I don't know what I'm gonna do now because Rob, they uh, converted their guest room to an office, they got rid of the bed. So uh, maybe, I don't even know if we'll be back in person in January, but I might have to I might have to do a hotel. We'll see, we'll see. Who knows? Nice have a hotel. People make the beds for you and free breakfast in the morning. That would be really swanky. I know, I guess I could do that. I'm an adult now, Erin. Yeah. I could just get a hotel like I was going on a vacation somewhere. Maybe. If you, if you if you really time it in mystery hunt style, that free breakfast, that becomes the late night snack when you go to bed at 6 a.m. and they're just putting the breakfast out and you get the first crack at all the bacon. Oh, man. Well, now you've given me something to think about. All right, yeah. well, we're going to... It's good that we started talking about puzzles because that is our theme. Uh but it's just our how we met is so married to our theme today, yes, which yes. Does, doesn't always happen. I don't know if it's ever happened. I have to re-listen to the first three seasons, but I think I can say with confidence it probably has not happened that how we met is so uh, in our, our theme. But anyway, uh, so let's get to our actual questions. 
Uh, the first question is, what are puzzles? Oh, this is a good question. So I, I think about this a lot because I have, I've been on public radio talking about puzzles and I had to come up with a good answer for this. Um, a puzzle is a problem that has a defined solution. So global warming may not be a puzzle, unfortunately, you know, COVID not a puzzle, unfortunately. There's not a simple defined solution that you are nicely clued towards the answer to. But a jigsaw puzzle has a defined solution. A crossword puzzle has a defined solution. A Sudoku has a defined solution. Um, a logic puzzle has a defined solution. So anything with a defined solution that when you hit on it, you know it's definitely right, that's a puzzle. That's a great definition. And I think it also encapsulates why I like puzzles because I like things with defined solutions. Yes, yes. <laughs> that, that fits my personality type. As, as a software engineer, some of the things that you write code for are puzzles and some of the things are not. And I do much prefer the ones that are puzzles that, that have very nice defined solutions. Um, but unfortunately the real world doesn't work that way. And so puzzles can be a very nice escape into something where you know there's an answer and you know you're going to get to it and it's not just banging your head against the wall towards something that has many different possible ways you could approach the problem that will or will not solve what you're trying to solve. Very, very interesting. That's a great definition. So when did you start doing puzzles? Oh my god, uh, birth? Um, I don't know. I don't remember not doing... like. I love jigsaw puzzles as a little kid. There's like a photo of me. Oh yeah, I love jigsaw. I actually have a Muppet puzzle I did with my dad when I was three or four. Yeah, my first puzzle, I remember being, I was about five or six years old and I got a puzzle, like a hundred piece jigsaw puzzle for Christmas. I think it was Disney princesses or something like that. And my uncle was like, that's too big for you. You can't do that puzzle. And I said, I can solve that puzzle. And I said, I can do it in an hour. And he said, I'll give you 20 bucks if you can solve that puzzle in an hour. Now this uncle was probably drinking a lot because he was an alcoholic. He, <laughs> he passed away just before COVID and I love him dearly, but he was almost certainly drunk in hindsight. And I said, I can do it in an hour. And I sat down as a little five or six year old and I solved this Disney princess jigsaw puzzle in under an hour. And then he wasn't going to pay me 20 bucks until my mom, his little sister, was like, no, I heard you tell her that you were going to give her $20 if she solved this jigsaw puzzle. So you have to give her $20. And that's how I got $20 off my Uncle Mark. Um, I can't believe you remember this story. It's, it's sort of an infamous story in my relationship with my Uncle Mark. I think it even came up at his funeral. Oh, <laughs> well, that's really sweet. Yeah, I, I also really loved puzzles. I also would do them uh, in the paper. I mean, I don't know, I'm not at five, but eventually there was a whole puzzle corner in our home newspaper with the crossword and the crypto quote. I used to love doing the crypto quotes and the, and oh, the yeah, scrambled words. My mom still does the scrambled words every day. I did um, the TV guide crossword every week. And I do a lot of trivia stuff now. Um, Learned League, I don't know if you or your listeners are Learned League is this like elite trivia league with there's some famous people in it and uh, um, everybody asked me like, why do I know so much about movies and TVs from before I was born? And it's not because I watched them. It's because I did the TV guide crossword puzzle so much as a child that like, I know things about the show Maud, even though I've never seen the show Maud. Oh, I love the show Maud. It was on Nick and Night. I, I've seen it now, but like- And I, then I, there's I, Maud. I know more about it from and doing the there's Maud. I, I probably only watched a few episodes. It's not one that was on Nick and Night at the right time. There was a slew of years that I would watch everything on Nick and Night every night. And if it wasn't on Nick and Night in that, in that little part of the 90s, then I probably mm -hmm. haven't seen it. Did you watch the Patty Duke show? That was my favorite Nick and Night yes. show. Yes. I okay. watched all the Patty Duke, definitely Dick Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, but I don't know that I've seen that many Maud episodes. I don't I think Maud was old enough yet in the 90s. Like Nick and Night is always about 30 years. Yeah. Well, now they have like friends and I'm like, this is not Nick and Night. Yeah, it's really depressing. Well, like, they moved Prince everything to TV Land. But TV Land has like, everybody loves Raymond. 
So then all the old, old shows are on MeTV, which I actually don't have access to anymore unless I use a digital antenna. Oh, I, yeah, they, even, I don't I'm not, I have no idea where you'd find the old TV. Oh, I know everything. Yeah, MeTV has a lot. There's also a streaming one called Pluto TV, but you can't tape off of it. You have to watch Pluto TV as live streaming and they have a whole bunch of channels with old shows. Oh, I think uh, but then IMDb also doc, uh, TV, IMDb TV, they just got a whole bunch of old shows and all IMDb shows are now available to watch through Amazon Prime. I know way too much about TV, uh, and, but that has an ad, but it's usually just one ad at the beginning. So Amazon Prime, like I was watching some episodes of Life with Elizabeth, which was Betty White's Betty first, first show. show. Yeah, I started watching that after she died, but I mean, it, it doesn't really hold up. It's in black and white and it's in the 50s and it I left it on in the background and then I was like, okay, I watched some of these. So okay. Check it off your bucket list that you've check, now check it off. Betty White television show. Yes, not, not every episode, but. There's no rule that I have to watch every single episode of Life with Elizabeth to say that I've watched it. So okay. I have watched it. It was, uh, you know, she is good. She looks so young in that one. It's like, oh my gosh, because that was the 50s. But yeah, so that's, so in case people wanted to know, that's where you can find your old TV. But that sort of trivia probably helped uh, get you on Jeopardy. Uh, probably. I'm trying to think if there was any old TV in my Jeopardy audition. There might've been. I. The funny thing, so are we segueing to the fact that I was on Jeopardy now? I mean, uh, I just brought it up. You can talk <laughs> about it. This, no, this, is I, not, this is not very formal. We just have yeah. conversations and... I, I, when you, so I was on Jeopardy and I lost, um, but the taping, it goes by so fast that there were questions that I answered correctly on the show that when I watched it, cause it doesn't actually air for like, it was like two months after the taping yeah. the aired. There were questions that I answered correctly on the show that when I watched it, I did not know the answer to. And I was like, why am I buzzing in? And I was like, oh, I knew it. Why did I know it? Um, cause I had crammed so much stuff for the taping, uh, much of which then floated out of my brain once I had left. Um, I, I can't imagine, like, I don't know anything about like, like British history or like French kings. That's the sort of stuff I'm always like tuning out. I'm like, nope, don't know this category. Like yeah, I like I, when I've, they choose the categories in order. So if it's a category I don't like, I can just do something else. I um, f- fun things to study for and learn. I. I no longer can, but at the time, if you gave me a year, I could tell you who was president um, and who was sitting on the throne in England. Um, well, that's crazy. Yeah, but that's a really useful thing for Jeopardy because they'll sometimes be like, uh, in 1873, this president, blah, 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 blah. And it doesn't matter what they say they did if you know who the president was in 1873. 1873, that's after the Civil War. So it's not Lincoln. Andrew Johnson was after Lincoln, right? Yeah. And I don't know who was after that. Grant. So was the answer Grant for 1873? I think, I think so, yeah. yeah. All right. You heard it here, guys. Grant was look president that up. in I'm gonna 1873. I'm going to look that up. So Ulysses S. Grant was president from 1869 to 1877. So he was president in 1873. That was actually really fast Googling. Good job. I just Googled U.S. Grant president. All right. So what is your favorite kind of puzzle? Ooh, it varies. Or I, kinds. Kinds uh, with plural. I mean, a traditional crossword puzzle is always good. Um, I like I like crossword puzzles with gimmicks. I get in arguments with my dad all the time because he does not like Rebus puzzles. He thinks they're cheating. Oh, you mean Thursday puzzles as I call yeah, them? Yeah, Thursday puzzles, basically. And I've written some and, and published them. And then my dad, my dad does every puzzle that I write. And he's always like, oh, you did one of your cheater puzzles again. And I'm like, what? No. Um, but I, I love those. Because it's sort of, there's a puzzle within a puzzle, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I do like Thursday probably the best. It's the most yeah. mystery hunt day of the yeah. New York Times. Yeah. But um, it never goes quite as far as a mystery hunt puzzle would. No, but I love, I love variety puzzles that take, I just test solved one. It'll, well, it'll be out by the time this episode airs. The So I write for the ABCX, the American Values Crossword Club. Used to be the Onion AV Club. And then they, the onion dropped their crossword and it went independent. But um, 
they occasionally do variety puzzles and I just solved a variety puzzle that I shouldn't talk about because it hasn't been published at time of recording and they might make edits, but it's a grid and that's about its only similarity to crossword. It's a grid, but then the words also fit into boxes and then there's extra letters and then you do Oh, that's that. super fun. Yeah, and then you read a thing and then you do another thing and you get a final answer. Kind of, it's like a mystery puzzle. Um, so I like puzzles with layers. Um, I like logic puzzles, the Nicoli style logic puzzle. Nicoli is a Japanese magazine that does in Japan because they, you know, they don't have a nice 26 character alphabet. It's harder to do a crossword puzzle. Oh, you definitely couldn't. Uh, I've been learning Japanese for my upcoming trip to Japan with my wife and it is not easy. Yeah, you, you couldn't do a crossword puzzle in the way. No. But numbers, you know, so Sudokus are very popular. Yeah, and Ken Ken. Yeah. Um, and and there's a whole series of logic puzzles like that where it's either you're drawing a path around a grid or you're putting numbers in. Um, I like those. But I, and I'll, I'll go, like lately for some reason, I've been solving a lot of star battle puzzles. And so I really like star battle puzzles right now. But I'll get to a point where I'm like, I pretty much found all the heuristics to solve a star battle puzzle. Now I'm going to move on and I'm going to, you know, my next habit will be some other logic puzzle that I'll do for a while. And so I really like the puzzles and there just aren't that many of them where someone takes a standard type of puzzle that I'm already really familiar with and changes its rules slightly so that I have to start thinking again and not just Ooh, thinking. apply the heuristics I've already learned. Well, I like cryptic crosswords. That's a lot of thinking, but afterwards like your, your brain kind of hurts. Yeah. Uh, cryptic you... crosswords are one of the few grid-based puzzles that I really like doing in groups because there's so much lateral thinking involved in a cryptic crossword that for me with a regular crossword, like not to toot my own horn, but I do a Monday in like two and a half minutes, right? That's really, I don't know, my iPad isn't fast enough for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, it, the way you input probably wouldn't, but doing it with a second person would just slow me down. Like there's no way right. a second person would speed me up. I think my record for a Monday is just under four minutes, which isn't terrible. Some people would take longer than four minutes oh, yeah. on a Monday. My I rarely take more than five or six on a Monday. Yeah. But on a Monday, even at that time, right? Like you're not going to be sped up by working with someone. Um, oh, no, I don't think that would be very helpful. You Maybe on a Friday or a Saturday. Friday, Saturday, sometimes I'm still doing the puzzle for 40 minutes. And then I'm finally, I'm like, okay, maybe I need to Google some sports names. Maybe that will help get this faster. Yeah. Even Friday, Saturdays, I do under 10 minutes. Well, that's impressive. I don't know. I think, I think I did do a Saturday a nine and a half once and I was like, oh my gosh. But for some reason, sometimes the Saturdays are easier than the Fridays. Like maybe yeah. it's just the amount of knowledge I have about a certain thing that they think it's harder. But like, I know actors and actresses and TV and movies, I have a huge knowledge base in that area. So if, if it's more that and less sports, I'm doing great. Yeah, I also find that there are certain authors, Cameron Austin Collins, um, he writes a lot in the New York Times and the ABCX. I always solve his puzzles faster than whatever my average time is. Always. It's like Maybe somehow you just he, are on the same wavelength. Yeah, he and I think the same way. You want to pick the same you know, yeah, kind of clues we, or whatever. Have, I don't know if we have. I love Robin Weintraub. I think her puzzles are just fantastic. Yeah, that's a name that I know. I can't, I don't know that I can think of like specific puzzles by her that I really like. I really like Liz Gorsky's puzzles. She won't publish her. in the Times anymore though. That's probably uh, why I don't know her. Yeah, she does her own independent stuff. Well, uh, that's exciting. Very exciting. Uh, so I'll skip to this question. What did it feel like to have your, your puzzle in the New York Times? It's funny because with most things in my life, once I've done it, I'm like, oh yeah, it's not a big deal. But I, I was thinking about this because you sent me these questions ahead of time. And actually the- See, I'm organized just like Brandy. Yes, you are. Um, Maybe Brandy I, I, will listen if we tell her we mentioned her five times. Yes, Brandy, listen to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I found out that I was, I, so I sent it off and you just, you send it off by snail mail and then you, I don't know, it's mail. There's no immediate feedback at all. Right. And it was like three or four months later. 
And I was actually in Rome traveling with some friends. Um, you know, Usman. Yes. Uh, Usman and then uh, Laura Lopez. So I don't know if you know her. Yes. Uh, yes. I know okay. her too. So we were traveling in Rome because another friend of ours was getting ordained in the Vatican. Well, yeah, um, when in Rome. Yeah. You know, so I, I was jet lagged at an opposite schedule as them. So I was getting up at like 5 a.m. Rome time and they were like sleeping in. Um, Usman lived in Paris and still does. And so he was definitely not jet lagged. And I got up and I checked and I had an email from Will Shorts. And it was like, congratulations. We are happy to accept your puzzle. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, and I just man. started like jumping up and down and I woke them up. Like I, we were, we were sharing a house, like a rental house. Talk about being woke. Yeah. And I banged on their doors and I woke them up and Laura was so mad at me because she really liked sleeping in. And Usman didn't even get up. He just yelled, that's good, but I'm sleeping. And <laughs> Laura was yeah, like, I hate being interrupted sleep wise. But it was will, really exciting. That's so cool. Like I just, I have not had that experience yet. I I did have three puzzles in the LA Times, so I considered that a win. I mean, that's I can I can call myself a published, you know, puzzle writer. Number one and number two, it happened more than once. When the second time happened, I felt much better. I was like, it was not a fluke. I you can. Are, you can officially call yourself. You know, the word is cruciverbalist. Cruciverbalist. Yes. I didn't know that. Now I do. That's why that blog is called that. Now I get it. Yes. Oh, Crystal Cruciverbalist. Maybe I'll put that in my bio for the show. Uh, Cool. So when did you start writing puzzles? I wrote my first crossword, which is probably terrible, when I was maybe 15 or 16. Oh, that's exciting. I think I, I I wrote like a word thing just with crosswords but not like a grid you know what I mean oh yeah yeah. I think I I did one of those because I used to write for the newspaper in like middle school so I think I did like really big puzzles yeah Yeah, I did a crisscross I did I wrote those in like second grade too yes of course you did I knew you had cool assignments I don't know that's not those are not hard to write (laughs) no and like I remember having to write word searches for a school assignment. In oh, I definitely did word searches. I used to write those too. Yeah. But my first like crossword grid that follows the standard crossword rules with no unchecked letters and et cetera. I remember I was at my parents' cabin and I was about 15 or 16 and I just wanted to see if I could. And it didn't have a theme and it probably had too many words to be valid. You know, um, for those who don't know, a 15 by 15 grid in the New York Times has to have a maximum of 78 words. 78. Yeah, I know this now. (laughs) (laughs) 72 words if it's a theme list. I didn't Uh, really quite know all of that stuff when I started submitting. And then uh, rejection by rejection, I started to learn, oops, I need to count the black squares and I need to count the words and make sure I'm not, you know, over limits here. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure that first puzzle was terrible. I have no idea where it went. And then I didn't really write or do anything other than sometimes I would like doodling, make like five by five word blocks and see if I could fill it in and stuff until we wrote the mystery hunt in 2004, which was my senior year. So it was a lot of my junior and senior year writing puzzles. And I think I wrote only one crossword grid in that hunt. Um, I mean, I wouldn't remember that hunt well. I did. I remember that Brandy had me with a Barbie puzzle and mm-hmm. I was messaging her and I was like, I can't figure out where the answer is. And she was like, I shouldn't tell you this, but just think about, you know, everywhere I would put an answer. And then I was like, just run through the list and it was diagonal. And I was like, oh, why didn't I? That's why we have uh, in our wiki now, have you tried this? Because sometimes yes. it's just really obvious and you're just not thinking about it because you haven't slept or whatever but then I did join your team after that year I guess it would have been 2000 and two years after that 2006 maybe yeah yeah because at that point all the pettiness of people not liking me when I was in college had kind of dissipated and the team had just become a mishmash of people with huge personalities who didn't get along and they were like whatever Seth can totally join we don't care like I don't remember who specifically wouldn't have liked me but maybe I mean I don't I do. know oh well, well you Robbie were. Robbie added you to the mailing list and a bunch of people were like 
what just happened? Oh and no! Like, and Robbie's like, he's fine now. And uh, I, I, I won't say it on the recording, but a certain no, you... person who's not on our team anymore was like, I don't think he should be on our team. And oh. I like, I think he's chilled out. And we're like, our team's big enough. It's fine. And it was like, grumble, grumble. Robbie shouldn't have just added him. And uh, well, I'm glad to hear this. I mean, I, I won't even ask who the person is. I'm sure it's not someone I would remember anyway. So it's uh, fine. But then we eventually expanded and we added all sorts of personalities and people that didn't well, get we along. we added Dan Katz after that. That's who I was going to say, but I wasn't going to say it. No, so. no, he, he wasn't on our team then. Um, no, he didn't, he didn't join our team until a couple of years before we actually won. And yeah. that was exciting. That was because uh, I hadn't been sleeping. I don't know if you remember that year. I wasn't sleeping in, in 2012. It was terrible. That was the, that was the musicals hunt too. That yes. everybody was like, why is Seth not into this hunt? This hunt was made for Seth. It was made for Seth, but I was really upset. I had a horrible breakup and I wasn't sleeping. And even the year after 2013, I had just, I still wasn't sleeping great, but I had just started getting kind of back on track. Uh, and I remember I, have a, I had a voicemail from Randy that we won because we didn't win that till Monday at 3 p.m. And I like, I stopped by on my way to the bus station. I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop by for the end of this, even if it's going to cost me an extra two whatever on this tea to take it twice. I spent that extra $2 just so I could be there. And I had my stuff and I got the coin. And then I went and I took the bus like right after. But that was so cool. And I actually credit writing the mystery hunt and fulfilling one of my bucket list items as uh, as getting me out of my insomnia and depression. I do, I talk about this in my first book. I think having that kind of purpose and in 2013 until we ran in 2014, I mean, you remember it was a lot of work. Yeah. So yeah. like it really, it got me out of my head and out of my problems and out of my quarter life crisis and dealing with my breakup and my grandparents dying and all that, that I talk about in my book. But the mystery hunt, winning that really, I think, saved me, got me back on track. Because then we did a reading of Love Quirks again the spring of 2014. We did our three-week off-off-Broadway in the fall. And then I wrote my book and I just excised my demons. And winning the mystery hunt, I think, really gave me purpose and, and joy, I think. And that was so much fun. But you probably did a lot more work than I did for it. Yeah, although I was going to say, I, what I remember too about your writing is you were, you were actually pretty prolific, but we had to heavily edit some of your first puzzles, but it was like, you were one of the edit, the authors that I remember seeing this like amazing growth throughout the year. Ah, uh, shucks. Like your, do you remember your first puzzle that you submitted? It was, um, like, it was probably what, just really basic. It was really basic and it was just like West Wing episodes, which... I don't think you remember I wrote that puzzle in 2004 already and it oh. was like <laughs> I probably didn't remember and I was like I was like this is too simple this is like not complex enough for a mystery puzzle and then we were like you should add some things and that it turned into your tv puzzle that wound up being one of our intro puzzles yeah everyone solved that yeah one. but that that like, one we had to rewrite it the night before because they added a a credit for one of the people on Mad Men was it that or was it I thought it was that Matthew Perry was on Cougar Town I think that, no, I mean, I thought the guy, the kid from Cougar Town was on Mad Men. That oh, maybe season. that was it. I know but Cougar it, Town it was, was definitely in that chain somewhere. Yeah. And then Chris was rewriting it and he was like, I almost cut Bernadette, but I didn't. And I would have <laughs> killed him if he had. So it's good that he didn't cut Bernadette. That was a fun puzzle. Yeah, no, I think I really learned a lot. Like I'm a fast learner and I'm a fast writer. So in terms of writing musicals too, like I've written 400, 500 songs at this point. And that's by the time you get to where I am now, it re you really do have to do something a lot. And so I, I definitely got better at figuring out what these puzzles had to be. Well, by the end, you wrote the... End. the um... Oh, I just remember the final clue phrase was like tab shift and the answer was caps locks, but I can't remember. Oh, that was my file, file director. File director. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It was filed. It was filed erector. That was file director, film director, film director. Film director. That's yeah. what it was. And it was all, everything was off by one and the letter was changed. 
Yeah, I thought yeah, that one was really cute. And that one, you came to it and you were like, that was maybe one of your last puzzles in the year. Yeah, but that, that was one the last needed one. very little editing compared to your first puzzle in the year because it was like, oh, this is a solid idea. He knows what he's doing. He can just write it as opposed yeah, to. Yeah, that was super text. fun. Well, I did the musical one with Rob. And the, that that was Dan Katz's idea to make it a grid. But once he gave us the idea, we ran with it. Yeah. And that answer was feline. And I remember we had a, a lyric from Katz. And that was fun. And then the Muppet one. Uh, you and I co-wrote that one. Yeah, first. we. I guess I was going to write Muppet parodies. And some. maybe it was you said, why don't you film those? And then I got I, my, I think Robbie actually said, why don't you? Because the first thing you were going to do was just like, clue the song like you were just gonna like yeah. write the, the, your very first idea was to write was the also parodies was well you weren't even gonna do that you were just gonna like write the song name down and we're like there has to be more puzzle and then you said write the parodies and then i think it was robbie said seth why don't you sing the parodies with puppets um that was a great puzzle those are still up on if you go to sethbh.com slash puzzles you can that one is still there and you can watch all of our yeah, I have my friends who run that. They were on my podcast last season, Stacy and Ryan, talking about Muppets, because uh, Ryan runs the Tough Pigs site, and they brought in some puppets, and I had some puppets, and we had a really fun day making those. Uh, and then yeah. you did the crisscross. I did the grid because then it then it was a question of well, how are you going to extract an answer? And I think yeah. you first like just read the first letter, and I was like, that's not interesting. When we have too many puzzles that do it that way, and I I came up with let's write a crisscross grid. Yes, yeah, so I remember you... writing that on a plane. I was flying somewhere and I wrote the like because I think you made a first pass at it, but I pointed out to you that it was not uniquely solved. Yeah, I don't know how to do that. How did you make it so it's unique? You try to solve it. Oh, interesting. Um, you try to solve it as you're writing. So you're like, how much of this is forced? What oh, this part's not forced. So where do I have to add a constraint to force? Ah, so I thought you had a computer program or something. No, I remember I did it on graph paper on a, you know, little tray on a plane. I love graph paper. I still do all my crossword puzzles on graph paper. And one of my friends laughed at me because everyone, I guess, uses software now. For crosswords, I use software because it, it really is so much faster. What uh, software do you use? I use Crossfire. That's I have a what map. my friends said to get. Yeah, so there's, there's basically two commercial programs out there there's there's crossfire which runs on any platform so you can get it mm. get crossfire for windows mac linux um and then crossword compiler which i think is a little bit better than crossfire but it's windows only um uh well no i guess maybe i should invest in it because i have made money selling puzzles now yeah so. it's, it's 50 bucks and if you sell a puzzle you basically make that money back so. yeah i i just the fun of it to me is with the pencil and the eraser and i sit there and i i do that and then i i use of course one look and crossword tracker for yeah. constraints but i actually I'm, I'm on like my 45th puzzle that i've done i mostly get rejections i've had three published and 40 or so rejections but I've gotten way faster at gridding, like, and I'm actually much better at making the grid. I used to really struggle making a grid and then making sure it had the right amount of squares. But now I can usually eye it and I always double check what I'm usually right now. Do you do so, anything with your rejected puzzles? Um, I send them to other places and they get rejected again. You should self-publish like an Amazon book of- Of rejected puzzles. That's rejected puzzles, yeah. They're not terrible. They're right, just not, people would solve them. Yeah, uh, the New York Times is up here and every other publication is trying to be as good as the New York Times now. And it's just very, it's very hard to get published, I think, even anywhere. I'm, I'm lucky that I got them in the LA Times. Like, I think that was, I, I really like all three of my puzzles, but I, I do think it's gotten very competitive thanks to the, the quarantine time a lot of people just started going into this hobby and it's yeah I, I had puzzles rejected from the new york times where they said this probably would have been accepted i paraphrase and make it sound that way but i think that was the implication that maybe a few years ago they these would have been accepted i mean it gets the more people that get into it and with computers there are people that can i mean if 
if I don't care too much about the quality, I can write you a puzzle in about 10 minutes. That's nuts. It's not going to be great, but I mean, the right. software writes most of it for you. Um, uh, well, maybe I need to get the software at some point, but for now, I will keep doing it by hand because I put on a movie and I, I it's fun. And then you, I, tr- I pick, you know, that's how my puzzles end up with so much TV and theater in them. Like then whenever I was in the LA Times, Rich would change three answers to sports. <laughs> and I'd be like, really? Okay, I guess if you have to. Uh, so yeah, you've written a lot of puzzles. Do you have any favorites? Um, I have two answers for that. One is my favorite Mr. Hunt puzzle that I wrote was Bumblebee Tuna. Oh, I love that one. Which is the only thing I've ever created that somebody I don't know has made a YouTube video about Bumblebee Tuna. I was looking, I like Googled the name Bumblebee Tuna A, which is the name of the puzzle. And I realized that somebody has a puzzle solving YouTube channel and had gone through solving this puzzle. It's me. It, it took more time than any other puzzle. And I wrote like 35 to 40 puzzles for the 2014 hunt. I spent more time making Bumblebee Tuna than maybe all the other puzzles combined because I had to write and arrange and record was it eight or 10 oldies acapella and then manipulate the audio to sound like bees and then film myself in a bee costume doing every single one of the vocal parts. And then Laura Martini did the uh, the actual video editing because I didn't have the right video software to it. I, I don't know how much time I spent, but it was so much fun to make. And I did it at various, at one point I was visiting on and in Chicago because we were working on writing a different puzzle together. Um, and I was like, and he had a piano in his room. I was like, well, I can knock off some some of the recording, but he was going to test all of it. I was like, I just have to go into your room and you need to put headphones on and you can't know what I'm doing. I'm just like, what's happening in here? And my roommate would come home and I'd be like buzzing into the microphone in the living room, which be like, I don't understand what you're doing. Um, so that was my favorite mystery hunt one. And my favorite crossword is one that I wrote for the ABCX called Time Warp. Oh, I did um, that one. It's a rebus. It's one of the ones that my father hates. It's phrases with time in the middle, and but it warps at the t- where time is in the grid. So a, a phrase will start. I can't remember any of the phrases now. Um, like uh, running time. Time was always in the middle. Can't remember any of the phrases. But a phrase would start. It would hit time, and it would finish somewhere else in the grid. Um, and I actually the themes had to interlock, so it was very constrained. Um, but it worked beautifully uh i had someone send me an email and say they were surprised it wasn't nominated for an orca which i was i was really flattered by that well i didn't is there other puzzle awards i yeah, don't know about it's this some blog the, the orcas are the what are they i think it stands for something but the crossword awards is what this oh is. i didn't know that great yeah. now another thing on my bucket list yeah I, it did not get nominated for an orca um, but next time it, next time it's my favorite puzzle. Uh, ben Tausig, who's the editor of the ABCX, when I sent it in, he's like, I just want to say this is by far the best puzzle you've ever written. But what do you think the key to writing a good puzzle is? I think having a nice tight theme where I really enjoy puzzles, crossword puzzles, where you go, oh, yes, those are the theme entries. There's very few other theme entries that could have been and they all fit really nicely together. And if it's a themed puzzle, as dense as it could be, like there's not a lot of wasted space that's not yeah. part of the theme. Um, and for themeless puzzles and for themed puzzles, I really like sort of, people talk about fresh and interesting fill, which is a not very well-defined term, but it, a word that you don't see often in crossword puzzles. Like one of my claims to fame is, and this is now almost 10 years old itself, I was the first person to get Mansplain published in a New York Times crossword puzzle because um, it's just not a word you see very often. Um, it's not, well, it's not a, it's a new lively word. So it's a word that now, I mean, it's 10 years old, but it wasn't a puzzle that you saw in the New York Times, but it was definitely a puzzle that's sort of in the zeitgeist of what people are saying, right? Right. It's hard because it takes so long for your puzzle to get published that by the time it's published, it could already have been dated. Yeah. Um, I actually did a whole puzzle with 
uh, like I call it millennial slang. I, I was told right away it was too dated by many publications that it would easily <laughs> get, I uh, had on fleek in there. I don't think people say on fleek anymore. Yeah, you have to be careful with some of that stuff. because Yeah, it, it's crazy. You don't know what I like about power. The ABCX is we publish weekly and like, so turnaround times for the New York Times, I think we've talked about this. It can be a year and a half from when you wrote the puzzle to when it runs. Because it takes three months for Will Shorts to get back to you. And then it sits in the queue for, you know, can be over a year, especially for Friday and Saturday themeless puzzles, which are the ones I've had published. And so what was fresh and, you know, imagine if you submitted a puzzle in 2019 and oh, all geez. the things that have happened in the world since then, right? Um, and whereas with the ABCX, I have written and finished a puzzle and Ben has finished editing it and, and the nice thing with the ABCX is Ben and I email back and forth. Um, so before I even write the grid, he's approved the theme. So, you, you know, when you- Oh, I love that theme querying. I'm starting to do more of that. Yeah, because just... then you don't waste time writing a grid for a theme that the editor doesn't like. So he and I will go back and forth. And then, for example, I wrote one for the ABCX for the 2018 Olympics based on curling. And I started that, started writing it in like January. And it ran in February. Like, oh, I, well, that's easier. Like, yeah. In January, Ben emailed me and said, do you have anything for February? And I said, we should do an Olympics themed one. And I want to do a curling themed one. And then he and I went back and forth as to what a curling theme might look like and what would be good. And then, and then I wrote the grid and then, he, you know, he edited the clues and then it was up. Right. And so it was, you can get fresher phrases in there. Um, and Francis Heaney is really great at, throwing in sly pop culture. Yes. Uh, Brennan Emmett Quigley is another one. Francis always uh, does that. Uh, he's on our Puzzle Boat team. Mm -hmm. I know Francis because his wife is an actress. So I I know them through the theater community. Uh, but, you know, I, I enjoy... The, when, it, when we do Puzzle Boat, Francis just solves... When he's, like, there and solving, it's like boom, 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 boom. And you're just it like, great. okay, well, he just solved 15 puzzles in an hour. Okay, let's we'll see what's left. Incidentally, but, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I sat next to Francis at Dan Katz's wedding. Oh no. Was, it was right after it was, I think it was like the June after we had written the mystery hunt. Mm -hmm. And so he was talking to me about the mystery hunt because he had solved it in our puzzles. His favorite puzzle that year was the Muppet puzzle. Ah, I wonder if Francis told me that or not, but we can make sure he listens too. Yeah. This is great. All these people, they'll have to be like, what did they say about me? And they'll have to tune in. Well, we'll have to make a list. Francis and Dan and Brandy and Robbie. How we exciting. About Laura. We'll get Laura to listen if we talk about Laura. Oh, yeah. I Laura know. was our theme czar. Uh, we're writing the Mr. Hansi. It's that was so easy. much fun. But uh, I don't think we're in danger of winning again. I feel like we weren't even in the top 10 this year. No. And I mean, personally, I'm okay with that. I feel yeah, like I, I'm totally okay with it because I, I checked it off my bucket list. Is I, I like to have lists and I like to check things. So not only a, have I checked it off my bucket list, I have other outlets for writing puzzles now, and I've been paid for writing puzzles. Yeah, me too. I agree. And the idea of doing, uh, I I basically work two full time jobs that year. Yeah, and I don't want to do that again. No, I agree. I like getting paid for writing. So speaking of that, do you have any puzzles coming up anywhere? I actually don't. Um, oh no. <laughs> I should. I mean, I could probably just email Ben and get one for the ABCX, but. Uh, well, let's assume that you do by June. So check out the ACVIX or whatever. ABCX. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'll tell you what, by June, maybe I'll, I'll email you if I have one and you can, you can put a little in now. All right. So uh, we have been talking for a long time. So it's time to wrap up with our closing questions. Uh, so what is a time a millennial annoyed you? I think I have to make it about Gen Z because I'm, I was born in 81. I am borderline a millennial. You're definitely exennial, just like me. Oh, I'm definitely exennial, but like, millennials don't bother me as much as I so I at work managed 17 people who are all younger than me and they started using the skull emoji in slack to mean laughing but like to me the skull emoji means death yeah death so they used the skull emoji 
to mean laughter because it is the same as saying I'm dead, but I didn't know this. And I was like, what am I saying in Slack that is causing my whole team to like want to die or kill something? I don't understand. And then they had to explain it to me that this oh, is- that's weird. Did they use a little skull to be little death, like orgasms? No. <laughs> they should. That would make that more sense. That wouldn't be work appropriate, Seth. That wouldn't oh, be I've never had a job, so I wouldn't really know. <laughs> All right, final question. What advice would you give yourself 10 years ago? 10 years ago, I would say, because I was thinking about this, 10 years ago is a year before we were about to win the mystery hunt. So I would say, catch up on your sleep now because you're about to have a year in which you don't do it. Um, <laughs> thank you, Aaron. This was super fun. Uh, thank you so much. I, we could talk about puzzles all day and we have. Next week is actually our friend and fellow mystery hunt solver, Pranjal Potty, who's going to talk about uh, being a Jeopardy champion, which was uh, a lot more Jeopardy episodes than Aaron was on. <laughs> so I hope uh, you will tune in then. So you'll hear me next time right here on Millennials Are Running the World? Question mark, an Exennial Perspective, Real Conversations Bridging the Gap Between Generations X and Y. I'm not woke, but I'm awake. Millennials are ruining the world, an Exennial Perspective.